Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald. Today, we're talking about social justice in a series of events, the John H. Lounsbury College of Education, the Creative Writing Program, and the Department of English at Georgia College are hosting this semester to continue the conversation about social justice in American education. This year, the Social Justice Dialogue series features award-winning author and educator David Troyer, whose most recent book, The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee, was recently named a finalist for the National Book Award. Troyer will appear in a workshop and keynote address on Thursday, October 24th on the campus of Georgia College in downtown Milledgeville. But today, I'm joined in the studio by Georgia College Call Me Mr. Program Director Emmanuel Little and Georgia College Coordinator of the Creative Writing Program and Creative Writing Professor Carrie Neville. Uh, both of whom are here to talk about this 2019 installment of the Social Justice Dialogue series. Carrie Neville, Emmanuel Little, welcome to the Georgia College Connections. Thank you. Glad to be here. And thank you all for joining me to talk about this annual uh, reflection on social justice. Now, this is the fourth year that the Social Justice Dialogue series uh, will be here and hosted on the Georgia College campus, uh, but I don't want to leave any of our new audience members behind. For this first question, can y'all just introduce the Social Justice Dialogue series? Sure. I, I can start by just saying the Social Justice Dialogue series is essentially an initiative that our College of Education's Diversity Committee began several years ago. Our committee is composed of several different people throughout our college that are mainly focused on being what we call architects of change when it comes to diversity and inclusion. So it's really an effort to encourage some intentional conversation, like a dialogue, if you will, around uh, key issues at the intersection of education and social justice. And I think that's important because now in 2019, so many in higher education have gotten great at being able to kind of speak the language of diversity and inclusion using like different buzzwords to maybe appear as culturally competent. But for me, I think justice is technically a noun, but I see it as an action word. Um, you can't simply be diverse or inclusive if you aren't actively pushing marginalized voices forward. So I guess in a nutshell, it's about the work and that work really resides in pushing those from the margins toward the center. Well, and let's not fall into that trap ourselves. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned uh, some aspects of pushing a social justice dialogue into American education, but what is social justice and does it change when it's in the context of education? Yeah, yeah, I, th I think uh, it's, it's paramount to education in particular because educators have the most important job in the world, whether it's K-12 or higher education. And I think most, if not all of us, have been kind of miseducated in some way regarding historical events or politics or simply our own place in the world. So when you're talking about social justice, that's vital in getting students to take the mindset that in order for us to strive for justice in society, there first has to be some acknowledgement of some injustices happening, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's about getting students to kind of continuously ask those key questions about, like, is this right? Is it equitable? Who is being silenced here? Who is being highlighted perhaps a bit too much? And I think most important to each individual 
what do I need to unlearn first in order to not just be an ally, but a co-conspirator towards combating oppression? And I think if that doesn't happen first in the classroom, it's very unlikely to happen outside of it. And I would also add, particularly in creative writing classrooms, you know, certainly there has been a centering of, say, white writers as the the standard bearers of aesthetics and histories mm-hmm. and experience. And, you know, as you said, Emmanuel, that justice is an action word. Words are actions as well, right? How we write about the world, how we privilege one experience over another through language um, creates the document, right, that we read, the document that we might mm-hmm. believe or question. And so, you know, words have to have integrity, and the way you have integrity in language is by honest wrangling with what exists in the world in language. And one of the interesting things that I've, I've picked up on in both of y'all's responses is this idea, I think you first mentioned it, Emmanuel, of unlearning. Uh, I'm curious uh, if y'all could talk about uh, the depth or the size of the challenge uh, that we have uh, right now when we think about educating uh, first and foremost in elementary schools, but all the way up through uh, uh, the higher education level that we are here at on the Georgia College campus? Well, I think the biggest challenge of that is, is getting students, faculty, staff, teachers, so on and so forth, to be critical thinkers. And, you know, I can speak to my own personal experience as someone who of course, like everyone else, grew up in the K-12 school system. I was straight-A student and all that, but I got all those good grades based on just memorization and, and being able to regurgitate the material, not, not ever once questioning the veracity of it or um, whether or not uh, people that shared my demographic were properly represented. And it wasn't until I got into higher education a bit more deeply um, that I started to say, you know what? All these things that I thought I learned over the last 12 or 13 years are, at the very least, uh, fairly incorrect. And I had to do a lot of kind of, you know, research on my own uh, when it comes to unlearning those things. And I think it has to start um, with each individual that has that power in the classroom to say, you know what, even though I am an educator, what are some things that I, some ways that I've been miseducated? Because I can't properly teach these students unless I've reevaluated the way that I've approached education. And so that's a huge challenge, and I think that's kind of where it starts. But, of course, it's systemic as well. It's also about bringing those stories that have been silenced or erased into prominence and visibility. Just, you know, for instance, walking around Milledgeville, you see signs of the Spanish conquistadors who came through this region. You see the sign that the Trail of Tears came through here. And I imagine most of us walk by these signs and don't think about the other stories that are behind those markers, right? We get the story, the sanitized version often in elementary mm-hmm. school, high school. And once you start questioning what other stories are not being told by those facts represented on those very small signs, right? I think the original book that preceded David Troyer's book, The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee, in 1970, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, was published. and. Up until that point, there was a fairly sanitized version of Native American life being presented in history books. And once people read that in the 1970s, you know, it completely upended our understanding that there was this massacre and we hadn't been telling that story or learning about that story. So I think that's one of the things that's really important as educators is to constantly be asking, what stories don't I know? 
you know, I don't know everything. Right. Well, and I wonder, is, right. is that the, one of the only ways to check yourself about what voices are not being there? Because the education system in, let us say, popular culture as well, uh, tries to present itself as a comprehensive narrative about this. And it's easy, and I'll speak for myself, to be washed away in that and not even know what you don't know. Yeah. It's about self-interrogation, right? And always coming from the position, at least I try to, the assumption I know very little, actually, you know, I know only what I've been taught and I know only my own experience and I try to have empathy for the experiences of others. But unless I ask questions and I listen to other people's stories, their experiences that might be radically different from mine or even similar to mine, I'm not going to know those stories. You're listening to a conversation about the upcoming Social Justice Dialogue series at Georgia College. This year's installment features Ojibwe author David Troyer and will take place on Thursday, October 24th. We'll return to our conversation with Georgia College's Carrie Neville and Emmanuel Little in a moment. And so uh, we're having our conversation about the social justice dialogue series and we're talking about some of the challenges that uh, we're trying to overcome in our society most specifically also in our education system as we practice it here at Georgia College and all the way through public education system uh, but I'm wondering you know, how do we take these inputs that which we've just talked about and turn it into a, a program that tries to uh, face those and counteract that I think the way that we've structured the social justice dialogue series over the last few years has been a good venue for that. Just in terms of it, it starts with conversation, right? And I, and I think before you get people to fully understand the impact of their actions or, or the impact of these systemic societal levels of oppression, you've got to get them to first be able to have a certain level of comfort with talking about these things across spectrums of difference. And so I think that's kind of where the social justice dialogue series started. And I think now we're at the point of, okay, we're getting good at having these conversations, right? <laughs> so what can we do to push those, those talks, those dialogues toward things that are more action oriented? So what are some, some tools that we can give educators in their toolbox? What are some tools that we can give people that are creative writers so that they can be better at their particular trades as well? So, I think that's the most important piece right now in this moment is giving people some things that they can take away from these type of events so that it's it's more than just, oh, wow, that was a great conversation. I've never talked about that before, but more so, okay, now I feel like I need to do something. Yeah, and, and be moved to curiosity, right? I think you were talking earlier about how we kind of glaze over and we don't know the questions to ask. And if suddenly, you know, you have a speaker come in to talk about sort of the Native American history that's been erased. And I know when we were first talking about bringing David Troyer to campus, it was the sort of moment of there's the Akmolji Native tribes here. There's the Akmolji Mounds up in Macon. Right. There's this other uh, population that hasn't maybe entered the conversation even on Georgia College campus. And that's the right. local Native American populations that were also silenced, erased, you know, genocide. Um, but we don't only have to focus on that part of the story either. It's how can we remember to include uh, people that maybe we don't see, 
you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, you gave me a good segue for one of the questions that we wanted to hit here. Uh, you just talked about uh, the featured guest yeah. for this year's uh, Social Justice Dialogue series. Uh, could you please introduce David Troyer? Sure. Uh, it's actually an exciting moment to introduce David Troyer because just a few days ago he found out that his uh, memoir, The Heartbeat of Wounded Knee, Native America, 1890 to the Present, is a finalist for the National Book Award. Uh, so we awesome. got him at the right moment <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before, you know, we'll have to go through a press agent, perhaps. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, he grew up on a reservation in Minnesota, the Leech Lake Reservation. He's part of the Ojibwe tribe. Uh, his story's quite interesting in that his father was um, fleeing the Holocaust and married his mother, who was a Native American Ojibwe judge. So he comes from sort of two populations, right, that have been exiled or silenced in, in certain ways. Mm -hmm. He teaches creative writing at uh, University of Southern California, but he's, he has a PhD in anthropology. He's written novels. He's written a scholarly book about uh, the representation of Native Americans in literature and how perhaps it often fails what it means to be living a uh, vibrant, forward-moving life rather than the typical representations that we might see of, you know, poverty, alcoholism, drug addiction, the reservations as dead-end places. And while certainly he agrees that there are facts around that that are absolutely true, that there is more to Native American life than sort of thinking that it's over, right? Um, so yeah, so he'll be uh, giving a workshop um, teaching and writing diversity, addressing how we might develop a more culturally and historically relevant pedagogy in the classrooms across disciplines. Um, you know, how might we have a more complex and respectful understanding of Native American culture, because that's what he'll be addressing, but even in a larger way, how can we include those? And include might even be the wrong word, like how can we make primary, right, inclusive conversation in the classroom? And then in the evening, he'll be um, offering his keynote address and reading where he'll be reading from the memoir uh, and answering questions from the community. Yeah, one of the most interesting things that I've read about uh, David Troyer in the run-up to our conversation today is that uh, he and his brother are working to uh, main—this is probably not the right word for it—but uh, maintain and continue the Ojibwe language. Yes. And um, you know, he's talking about just the fact that you know, uh, again, so much of the way the popular culture, uh, perhaps you know, most specifically the way that I was brought up, and cultural representations of Native people here in America are seen as um, there was you know the influx of European settlers, and then um, the Native culture of our country stopped at that point. Yeah. Well, and, and I think the language question is a really interesting one because, you know, he describes his, his memoir, which is a mix of reportage, interviews with, you know, Native Americans alive now who are living vibrant lives, um, and, his, mm -hmm. and a kind of historical overview as well. He says, this is not a book about Indian death, but Indian life. And we often think about these languages, right, some languages as dead languages, right, or languages that aren't being used or that are disappearing because of the, you know, how English is sort of hegemonic, right? It takes over. Language yeah. shapes how we see the world. Language shapes our point of view. And 
Native American language might offer a very different way of seeing and shaping the world through language that, you know, the English language does not. And so it's not just about maybe rescuing a language that is dying off, but about, you know, recognizing that this language can offer more in terms of how we see and understand each other and certainly, um, you know, in terms of environmental perspectives, right, rooted in land in, in what is before us. Well, I just always just love to think about when we talk about translations, yeah. and uh, many times you hear about, well, this idea cannot be translated into English, and you have to go a little, dig a little bit deeper in hopes of unlocking a new um, idea or meaning that uh, was never even, um, shall we say, discovered by your culture, yeah. and like you're trying to, you know, just unlock uh, more of this rich world that we live in by seeing it through the eyes of other people, of other cultures, mm-hmm. and just how important it is that we not let any language die so that all of that heritage of thought is not uh, taken away from the future. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Carrie, uh, you mentioned David Troyer will be teaching a, a workshop. Can you talk about how y'all hope to apply these ideas into uh, the creative writing program and what uh, this social justice dialogue series might mean for the, the teaching and learning in that uh, part uh, of our university uh, campus culture? Well, I think certainly coming from my own position as a teacher of a creative writing workshop, I think it's important to be very conscious about the texts that you teach in a workshop as examples of what makes writing, quote unquote, good or literary, um, to consider the ways in which stories can be told differently in other cultures or through other languages, to remember that stories matter, right? Because stories are the things that perhaps draw us closer together. We tell each other stories so that we enter each other's lives, whether they're fictional or non-fictional, and that creates empathy. And, you know, research tells us that, you know, when we feel empathetic, we are more motivated to act in just equal democratic ways toward, you know, other people who share the planet with us. You know, we don't just simply cast them off or we can't just simply see them as abstract. There's one thing, and I, I apologize, I don't have it right here in front of me, but uh, it struck me about just the way that you're titling the workshop, and it talks about in modern American writing. Is there a new opportunity that's as burgeoning now, or maybe we're, um, shall we say, capitalizing on with this, you know, a reflection upon the state of social justice in the United States and in you know, contemporary American writing that is a, a new opportunity that's uh, blossoming and would demarcate it from the past? I mean, I think one of the ways that perhaps the teaching of creative writing is beginning to change is it's not just those of us who might consider ourselves writers sitting in our, you know, garret, <laughs> starving and, and, and writing in isolation and creating some kind of masterwork. It's that storytelling is inherently tied to creating community. And, you know, writers have just as much of an obligation to participate in the in, in democracy, to not just be sitting in at our desks in front of our computers, but thinking about how the stories we tell and choose to tell can address some of those larger issues around injustice, around race, around gender, around sexuality. Not in a perhaps a way where we're kind of losing creativity, but just imagining or knowing that 
our stories are not just insular, but can, in fact, reach out and create these connections. Yeah, and, and to piggyback off of that, too, uh, and going back to something that we mentioned earlier, just the, the whole idea of, of storytelling as scholarship. I think yeah. often when you talk to people about stories and narratives, we it's, it's so easy to see that as separate from, you know, the sterile empirical research, so on and so forth in the literature. But um, based on everything that we've shared already when it comes to decentering the status quo, um, I think it's important to have this whole concept of counter storytelling. And there's not only information in those stories, there's history, there's there's language, as you said earlier, and that's just as valuable as, as any other type of quote unquote empirical scholarship that you can have on any given subject. And the more that we can put those stories to the forefront as counter, I think that would be extremely important, not only in creative writing, but also in, in education in the K-12 and higher educational context. I think it's interesting, too, you know, David Troyer in an interview talked about the writing of this book because it is memoir, so his own story, but he also includes a lot of stories of other Native Americans that he gained through mm-hmm. interviews. And he said, whenever I met with someone and he says, this is not standard journalistic protocol, I'd tell them, I'm writing a book and I want to talk to you about your life and would later go back and revisit their stories with them. But as I'm sure you know, because we Native people have so often been co-opted, misconstrued, talked over, and imagined to within an inch of our lives by outsiders and had so little control over our own stories, I gave people the opportunity to revise what they had told me before or opt out completely Mm. if they wanted to. If I'm going to write a book about us and for us, it has to serve us. And I think it's a really important thing to remember, right, that even as, as writers, educators, it's not just our point of view that we have to consider. Sometimes we have to mm. shut up, right? And listen. Yes, that's true. Well, and I love uh, what you just described in the follow-up, because especially when someone is coming to you and asking for your story, it's a it's a highly uh, emotional situation, and the ability to reflect in the aftermath of that experience, and then go back and be given the opportunity to revise as appropriate and as necessary, yeah. is a, is a is a good act of giving that writer, journalist, whichever context we want to, to put it in, is opening up, and you know perhaps speaks to a higher truth that can be gained from the experience. Then uh, what sometimes you know uh, to be pessimistic about it can just simply be a, uh, a commercial um, exchange. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's mm-hmm. also about being careful, too, with each other's stories and not exploiting them or not perhaps co-opting them, right, for our own purposes and allowing people right. to revise even what they've said before, right, because that's also an act of learning and an act of retrospective wisdom. You're listening to a conversation about the upcoming Social Justice Dialogue series at Georgia College. This year's installment features Ojibwe author David Troyer and will take place on Thursday, October 24th. We'll return to our conversation with Georgia College's Carrie Neville and Emmanuel Little in a moment. Um, Emmanuel, I want to... Um keep our our focus uh, especially on education um as we've mm-hmm. had this conversation about storytelling and you're talking about the importance of 
of uh, integrating that into, um, uh, shall we say, the education of our educators. I was wondering if you might um, be able to talk about the ways that um, in our College of Education we're trying to apply these thoughts. What I've seen over the last couple of years and what I'm trying to implement now as quote, as kind of a an educator of educators, so to speak, is making sure that everyone, regardless of what grade level that you're trying to teach, you have to be intentional with your approach to the curriculum. And going back to something I think Carrie mentioned a few minutes ago about asking those important questions in terms of who's being represented, who is not. And you can do that not only in terms of things like history, which is a little bit more obvious, but also things like science, because I think sometimes we you have the tendency to think that the STEM fields are immune from issues of white supremacy or racism. But, you know, when you start doing a bit more research, you start to see, oh, wow, no, that's that's not the case at all. And so any educator that is really trying to be forthright when it comes to their social justice perspective and approach they have to seriously consider those items as well. And so when we're having these workshops and these conversations, uh, one of the things that I'm going to be doing with my students is asking them some key questions. And going back to what you said earlier, I'm, I'm going to shut up, <laughs> you know, and, and listen to the students in terms of, okay, what was your initial reaction? And most importantly, how did that make you reflect on your own life, both as an educator or a fledgingly edu- educator, rather, but also as a, as a student, as someone who's come up through the K-12 school systems and, and now is trying to be an, an employee in those school systems, how is that making you reflect on what, you, what, what didn't go right and how is that going to affect your approach in the future as a teacher? And I think at the bare minimum, what has to happen, um, but what you hope will happen also is that these students will try to become you know, accomplices or co-conspirators with their marginalized students. And, and not only their marginalized students, but any of their students that may have been afflicted with the same curriculum that they had growing up, right? Uh, so that when they're a teacher in that, in that eighth grade classroom, their students can look back several years later and say, you know what? My mindset was completely changed as a result of being in this teacher's class because I was forced to think outside of my own perspective uh, whether it's across race or gender or sexuality, so on and so forth. And even though this was just a, a science class, I still had to think beyond what I was used to. And I, I think that's that's what's the, that's the goal for, for this particular event, but also any of these types of events that we're trying to put on uh, in the college event. And I think just, you know, speaking of science, right, we all have limitations of vision. We can only, through our own, you know, our own eyes, see so far we have vision is constricted by, you know, our left and right. I don't know the actual terminology for it. I got right. you. <laughs> you know, the way, like, literally how far we can see. And so much is out of our right. own individual range of vision. And a classroom, exactly. even though you may be the teacher, perhaps in front of the classroom or sitting at a tem- seminar table, I can only see so far. And even at the K through 12 level, it should be dialogue, right? Discussion, community building knowledge, rather than just the kind of passing down of, you know, what has come before and has not changed since. Well, I think it's that iterative process of science and always going back and allowing the new knowledge to question the old and seeing if there's a new meaning to be derived from it or Mm -hmm. an oversight to be corrected. I think I just, there was another program on this channel a few days ago that I was listening, driving to campus about an environmental scientist who was speaking about how a lot of the environmental science is wrong because it's been based on iterative, iterative knowledge that 
is being proven wrong. And so we have this whole sort of history of environmental science that now has to be reinvestigated because all new information is coming in and upending those, uh, that, that sort of the record, right, that we inherit. We are about out of time for our program. I was wondering if y'all might share what y'all hope some of the takeaways will be from this year's edition of the Social Justice Dialogue series. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I think for me, one of the, the main takeaways is that I, I just hope that folks come away with this with, number one, a, a broader appreciation um, for Native American history and stories and language, um, because I do think that's a big one that gets left out in a lot of these conversations. And I think that's especially egregious given that, number one, um, they're indigenous peoples. And number two, I mean, we're residing on land that was stolen, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and uh, I think it's important from a respect standpoint to make sure that we're highlighting those things. And number two, I think it's very important that people come away with a, a healthy sense of wanting to do something, uh, whether it's in the classroom or outside of the classroom. Number two is just, making sure that folks come away with a, a desire to want to, to reach across areas of difference and not only to have those conversations, but to figure out, okay, how can we affect change in the different spheres of influence that we're fortunate to be a part of, uh, whether that's in the classroom or outside of the classroom. So for me, I think those are the two main, main takeaways. And I think to even add to that is uh, to go back to this feeling of hope, right? That there is still possibility, that there are ways forward, that there is still the promise of a true democracy that we can yeah. try to achieve. I mean, we, we are far from that, I think, as we, we know. But it's by adding these other stories, these stories that have been erased or silenced, um, and seeing that perhaps in respect to Native Americans, that it's not just simply a culture or a history that has died off or is a culture and history that is one of despair, but is also about survival resilience and living presence, right? Yes. Our, yeah, that's, and, and about joy, too, yeah, right? Yeah, joy, oh, precisely. I, yeah. <laughs> and being able to celebrate joy, and that's what gets a lot of us up in the morning is, I mean, right? Oh, uh, most, most exclusively. <laughs> no, we might have 30 <laughs> seconds of joy in a day. <laughs> well, um, as uh, we leave out of our conversation, I just want to make sure, uh, could you all tell people how they can find out more and hopefully uh, engage in the social justice dialogue uh, on the Georgia College campus? The best way is uh, checking out our, our Georgia College front page. They've got the official announcement live as of now that has RSVP information for the workshop, but also information about the uh, lecture on, on that Thursday as well. Um, but beyond that, you know, they can contact me at emmanuel.little at gcsu.edu. Um, and I'm sure, you know, Carrie would say the same for herself also. Yep. Just a different name before the gcsu.edu. <laughs> First name dot last name. <laughs> yeah. Right. And we, of course, will post uh, information about it on our Facebook page as well. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Carrie Neville, Emmanuel Little, I want to thank you all for joining me today on Georgia College Connections. Thank you so much for having thank us. Thank you. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Tonight we previewed the 2019 installment of the Social Justice Dialogue series. This year, Ojibwe author David Troyer will lead a workshop and offer a keynote address on Thursday, October 24th. This year's Social Justice Dialogue series is hosted by the John H. Lounsbury College of Education, the Creative Writing Program in the Department of English at Georgia College. Go to our Facebook page to see the schedule of events and learn more.
But on behalf of WRGC, I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending this portion of the evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.